That's right. It's Between the Profound and the Profane, a comedy podcast where three, sometimes two, lifelong friends gather together in my spare bedroom uh, to trade friendly stories, give friendly advice, learn something new about their friends. And while we're at it, make some new friends. Hey out there, new friends. New friends. True believers. Bone horse. And my personal army of... Trash people. dang right. Joining me today, uh, as they are wont to do every week, uh, he's a pile of movie quotes in a man suit, Chris Warco. It is the topic for today. Uh, you will notice a void next to me where a uh, blurry man in the woods usually would be. Ian the Brown is off running errands. He will join us. He's lost without focus. He will be joining us again next week. Uh, We wish him the best today. Uh, But other than that, I, your shit host, have never been ready for anything in my life. Chris Myers. Help. Chris, you're going to need to cut that. (laughs) (laughs) As Chris had said earlier, uh, today the topic is movies, movies, movies. Uh, Since we're doing a duo full cast today, that's right, a duo full cast, we uh, decided we're going to maybe take a backdoor entrance into uh, another show, a show where Chris and I talk about movies, because I think we really enjoyed, I really enjoyed last week's episode where we got to just open up and talk about movies. Uh, I thought that was a really fun thing. We got to spend our entire week just watching random movies and getting into them. Uh, I can't remember the last time I've actually, like, put it in my schedule to consciously sit down and watch not one, but hell, we watched three in one week. Yeah, yeah. So that... That was a little incredible. I guess it shows if you fucking really need to do something, you can find the time. Yeah, no, you can always make time. Uh, that's one of those things that I, I push a lot is you can always make time for things like this. It just depends on what you want to be doing. Uh, whatever, And that's usually what takes precedence is what you want to be doing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, I want to just be playing Morrowind. And you can find me just playing Morrowind. But <laughs> other times, yeah, no, I realize what I want to do is... Uh, make a cool video about being depressed and how video games have helped me through it. Bramble Blues on the YouTube. Uh, you can check it in the comments below. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Thank you! <clears throat> trying to get better at that shameless self-promotion. So, as we were saying, uh, we would like to launch a movie podcast. Uh, so this is our way of kind of easing into it. We're going to just talk about basically our favorite movies. Uh uh, we're going to run them down in categories, maybe, sort of like the Academy Awards would, but uh, slightly different. Like, I'll give you one of my runners-up here. Uh, for coolest set design in an awful movie, Super Mario Brothers. I think that the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993 is, if you took the Mario Brothers out of it, like anything attached to Mario, take out Mario, Mario, take out the one time they wear the costume at the very end, take out the bob take out the fact that Dennis Hopper is apparently playing King Koopa. Uh, 
and just have that weird Blade Runner esque world. The bleach job and the twisting on his hair to give him those Koopa spikes. Yeah, yeah, yes, the Koopa spikes. Uh, but if you keep it. You can keep everything else about it. You can keep the de-evolution. You can keep the fact that apparently he's a dinosaur. I don't care. And it becomes a really weird B-movie with cool set design rather than the most awful Super Mario Brothers movie. It still wouldn't be a good movie. But it'd be a cooler B-movie than it is a bad Super Mario Brothers movie. And, you know, I think that falls into the category of one of those movies where... You don't really know what you're watching until you're an adult. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And I wonder, do people, and I'm sure they do, this is not, I guess it's not that hard to imagine, but you have to design the movie and realize that you're going to take the kids to see it regardless because they think it's interesting. So you're not designing a movie to keep the adults in uh interest you're designing a movie to keep the kids interest so it doesn't matter if the movie is terrible if it's long as it's got lots of action scenes and lots of colors and lots of things going on yeah i mean i get where people come when they're saying that but i argue that that's really bad for us as a culture and bad for kids thinking that kids don't need something substantial to chew on uh that they don't deserve something to like mull over and think about in their media is Selling kids short. Is it selling kids short, or is it their version of our action flicks? I mean, I get, I, I can totally see that. Like you, so yeah. But they they need the good meals in order to enjoy the junk food. True, but I, <laughs> I see. I guess I kind of categorized it down as your genres for little people. Like, not, like, I, I'm sorry. You're I the refer, best at misspeaking, and I love I, it. I refer to my yeah. kids as tiny humans. You're, yeah, my little people. My I little get... people. Okay, so I was talking about my kids. Uh, <laughs> Off to a rolling start. Hey, man. Get that fun. Hey. Uh, <laughs> What was it talking about? Uh, you were saying genres for the kids. Oh, right, like... right, right. So, you know, you have... Where we have our dramas and our action, they have different... You have to gear things differently towards kids. Yeah. And I guess you can still give them an action and a drama and, you know, different types of pieces like that. But to me, you would have, like, a Mario Brothers would be their action movie. Yeah, yeah, something just... Which is just kind of brainless, fun. Yeah. And, you know, you have your movies with depth and feeling. Uh, it's an animated movie, but fuck Lion King. It's loaded with that. Yeah. Uh, and it gives you the feels in all the places, and you're like, oh, God, he just killed his brother, and blah, 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 blah. So, the original uh, Land Before Time, the, the very first one. Land Before Time was a big one. Yeah. I mean, hell, they killed the mom right off the bat. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of a good coming-of-age piece. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up too fast, stuff like that. Uh, but I don't know. I just I I wonder how much gets taken into consideration when they're making those movies. Like if they're just like, how did those '90s action movies get made? You know, because some of those are ridiculous. They have no plot. It's just like all right, 
from the time we hit go to the time we end. We're either in a car, we have guns, or we are blowing shit up. Sometimes, all three. You're like, maximum force four. I don't know what the fuck happened, but it was great. I mean, had a ponytail. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that you can look at it in that way, uh, where it is just, this is the mindless for the kids, and that's cool for them. Let them have it. Uh, I do remember watching, but even, yeah, because even as a kid, I remember understanding that the Mario Brothers movie was a terrible movie, and I did not like any moment of it, but every time it was on, I sat down and I watched it. It was like, it was, it, it, as a kid, it was my least favorite movie that I watched the most. Now, see, I remember watching it in theaters, and then I had a crush on the chick. Prince, uh, Princess Daisy. I forget. Is that Daisy? Yeah, she played Daisy. Yeah, Wei Leguizamo, when he used to talk real, <laughs> like, just real like this all the time. Say, oh my God, I'm going to save you, Daisy. I swear to God, I'm going to come after you, and I just, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, drop you down that pipe and just, oh man, I'm going to take you home with me. It's going to be all right. They were completely... Him and Bob Hoskins were completely trashed during the entire filming of that movie. Just fucking And Bob Hoskins is already a gangster as it is. So him being Mario, like, they could have easily drank a little too much and it could have become a scary, a scary Mario. (laughs) Who the fuck are you? Boom! Just, like, smacks Luigi. That was a step of the hitting Luigi. So, I, yeah, that could have gone either way. But I wish that the CGI had been far enough that Koopa could have gone full dinosaur. <laughs> he does for like half a second it's at not, the very end. It's not full dinosaur. And it's terrible. It's like, I don't even think, I don't even like his head kind of lizards out. <laughs> I was digging the little Yoshi though. They fucking murder that thing within the first five seconds of meeting him. No, they don't murder him. Yes, they do. They stab him in the ribs. They break his leg. No. And Princess Daisy spends the rest of the time healing it and nurturing (laughs) it back to health. I'm pretty sure they kill that. All right, we're going to make a note in that, and we're going to rewatch the fucking Mario Brothers to see only if Yoshi dies. Well, I mean... If Yoshi dies in the first ten minutes, we'll turn the bitch off. Not in the first ten minutes, but within the first five seconds of meeting Yoshi. Yoshi. I know they stab him because he tries to save her, but... Then I, there's there is a scene where like he's locked up and she's locked up yeah. in the room and like she's good she's nice to yeah Princess Daisy's nice to him, but yes the, look at this as sort of an episode zero for a movies podcast with us in which we're kind of compiling the list of the movies we'll be like hey this is in the list let's grab this one let's watch this one let's talk about it uh let's see best nostalgia movie uh it, it's a it's a tie. But I don't think that it's a tie because it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one and two, Secret of the Ooze. Uh, like I think that those are like personally those are my most nostalgia filled movies. I I, I I I can't see the New Line Cinema uh, logo without wanting a Domino's pizza. There's a Pavlovian response. Now I will say. I was huge Turtles fan growing up. Yeah, and I'm talking. Huge. I had all the cool toys back from the old school 80s animated show. Uh, I had the glider. I had the blimp. I had the big ass van that shot the sewer discs out of it. 
I loved the first original uh, TMNT. On rewatch, it is super fucking dark. Oh, yeah. The first one. The first one is dark as fuck. Yeah. And it was only, I don't, I have to go back and look, but I think it was still only a PG rating. Yeah. I mean, it it was was only PG. Like, they kicked the shit out of Raphael. Like, they fucking jump his ass. They throw him through a fucking roof window. Yeah. No, that was a. Uh, It was pretty hardcore. And the fight with Shredder and, like, he comes up with his fucking claws and, like, backhands the rat. And like slices his face open. I was like, "Shit!" I mean, they don't they kill Splinter in the first in that movie. They, it's like three fourths dead, you know. Oh no, he no. They do save him. They do save him. Splinter ends up killing Shredder in the end. Yeah, yeah. He the 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 Force Ghost scene just always. For when you die, it will be without honor. Oops! Good old Casey Jones coming in with the garbage truck. I mean, I also, uh, I have the, uh, the weird pre-adolescent, uh, attachment of, uh, like, you know, pre-adolescent sexuality to uh-huh. April O'Neil as well as Casey Jones in that movie. <laughs> See, I was not attracted to first April O'Neil. I was more attracted to second April Aunt Becky? O'Neil. Is that Aunt Becky? Fuck yeah, that was Aunt Becky. I'm Aunt pretty... Becky from what? Full House. Oh my god, did I never realize that? <laughs> Until just now, because her hair was crumped or crimped or whatever the fuck that thing is, where it's like wavy but not curly? Get the fuck out of here. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to go Becky. back and look, and that's going <laughs> to blow my mind. I don't think that's right. I think they look eerily similar. No man, I'm pretty sure. I don't sure. think that's Aunt Becky. Oh sure God, that's, Aunt that's Aunt freaking Becky. me the fuck out now. How could I never have known that? No. I spent many a Friday night watching both of those movies when I was ten. I'm pretty sure that was Aunt Becky. And then what kid didn't want to be Kino? The fucking kung fu pizza guy that stumbles in and ends up helping the Ninja Turtles save the day. I mean, I'm pretty sure for a long time I thought that that's what pizza guys did all day. <laughs> it was like right around on mopeds and <laughs> make vaguely sexist comments to random strangers on the street. <laughs> and hey ladies, which one of you is coming home with me tonight? In your jeans, dweeb boy. All right. Ah. He pops a little wheelie on his little moped. But in my jeans, you'll be thinner. Ah! <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> and he did have the weasel laugh, too. Also in Surf Ninjas. Mono Surf! <laughs> Which I don't think I ever saw Surf Ninjas. I just remember the trailer playing on the VHS before Leslie Secret Nielsen of the Leslie Nielsen bad guy. Leslie Nielsen is the bad guy in Surf Ninjas? Was Surf Ninjas basically just teenage stoner three ninjas on surfboards? Uh, let's see. Who was the three? I think it was Rob Schneider was in that movie. <laughs> uh, then there was the older brother, the young... And I think it was just a duo of brothers. So it was an older brother, younger brother. And the older brother had, like, copycat abilities. So he could see somebody fight and then instantly learn how to fight where the younger brother had 
uh, precognition through video games. So he had the the Game Gear, the Sega Game Gear, or what was it? What's the other one with the fucking the? We looked it up. It was like Nitro, Sega Nitro, the that where you could actually plug in the Sega cartridge. Oh, I. Nomad. Yeah. Is that right? Sega Nomad. Sega Nomad. Okay. So he had a Sega Nomad and you know old school graphics, and he could see what was gonna happen like a minute before it happened in the video game. <laughs> And their sensei is like some one-eyed, old-school, think, just generic ninja. Yeah. And there's points in the, in where he's like toggling through his inventory in the game to give his master a weapon. <laughs> it ends up giving him like chopsticks and an octopus to throw at somebody, all kinds of weird stuff. But yeah, no, he's he's Leslie Nielsen's the bad guy. He is the Shogun bad guy <laughs> in feudal Japan armor. Leslie Nielsen. The whitest white guy ever. The difference between uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, 1990, in darkness and tone, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, is incredible, though. Like, watching just those two, the first two scenes. The first scene of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Team NT1, is... A April O'Neil reporting yeah. about uh, all of the robberies that are going on and you slowly watching the Foot Clan steal things with this really ominous tonal music. And then you get to see April walk out the door in her fucking yellow uh, trench coat. And, and you see Danny before you ever know yeah, who Danny is. You see Danny. He, he comes in with a wallet. The only and then you're one. Like, oh, I know that kid. He's a fucking stealer! <laughs> April O'Neil! Get in here! TMNT has the best, uh, <laughs> the best scene of kids doing wrong I've ever seen in my life, though. Uh, where they're all fucking smoking cigars and they got mohawks. <laughs> you got cigarettes? You want regulars? Or menthols? Do you know who that was? That was fucking Sam Rockwell. Fucking A, that was Sam Rockwell. Yeah, it was. If you're going to Aunt Becky me, I'm going to Sam Rockwell you. Whereas the uh, the opening scene of Secret of the Ooze is Kino doing that that we just did, and then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles themselves fighting the Foot Clan in a mall with I... toys. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? You want a pickle? I'll give you a pickle! <laughs> Random cowboy! Yeah! <laughs> I love both movies, though. I do. Equally. <laughs> and then we get Ninja Rap. Don't forget that. Ninja Rap does happen in Secret of the Youth. We get Tolka and Razor, which was cool. <laughs> we get one of my favorite scenes that I feel like I just want to always do to my siblings. And that's where he comes in. Who is it? I don't know if it's... I think it's Mikey. He comes in and saves his brother. And his brother, Raphael's all tied up to the post. And he rips the tape off. And he's like, Oh, damn, that fucking hurt. And he's like, You know what? And he puts the tape back on his mouth. And then he unties him. <laughs> How many of us that brothers and sisters have not had that exact same fucking moment? I mean, I think I actually did that to my little <laughs> brother at one point. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I some, I, I do still fucking. I think Secret of the Use is more quotable. Yeah, like it's got more of those things. It's got more of the one-liners. But yeah, I would say the first one is. It's a better movie. Definitely. I mean, it is a, it is a good movie. Someone would say, "Hey, man, that." That movie right there has got, you know, all the points you need, even though its main characters are turtles. It is a very good, well-scripted, through-and-through movie. It's got, um, you know, it touches on all different types of elements in the same movie. Kind of gets you thinking. There's tons of things you see on upon rewatch mm-hmm. that you don't get the first couple times. Um, imagery is really, really cool. Uh you know, I've been a movie fan forever, so watching the watching the movies progress and seeing where the the period was where everybody switched over from you know practical props to CGI and how fucking shitty CGI was when it started, mm-hmm. and then realizing when it got good and then how long it's been good. Like it's been good for for like. 15 years. We've I had, guess so. We've had pretty good CGI for about 15 years. I mean, you got to think that takes us back to like 2005. <clears throat> I think Gollum in uh, Lord of the Rings is when you like really start to see the break. And that's 2001. So roughly 15 years for everybody to catch up to that one moment. Yeah. Yeah, and that would have been a good thing to look up. Because remember, right Lord, uh, Gollum... <laughs> comes out in 2001 which is the same year that the god-awful scooby-doo movie with that monstrosity uh comes out both of those are the same year both of those have a cgi monster one of them looks really nice true the other one but i also think um and i have to look at when it came out it could have been later than 2001 it might have been 2003 but one of my favorite vampire movies like modern vampire movies Mm -hmm. um blade 2 Guillermo del Tormo's fucking... His remake of Blade made what I thought was a cool vampire movie. You know, it had really cool Wesley Snipes stored scenes. Mm-hmm. They turned into a fucking awesome action movie. <clears throat> and uh, the, the reconcept of those crazy vampires that are actually, like, hunting the vampires now, it was just really cool. The CGI was well done. The fight scenes were well done. The choreography was well done. He has a... And I guess it's Guillermo, so probably a lot of that was practical as well. But there were... They did a really good job with the dissolve scenes. Like, where they get hit with the silver. And then... And they just... Well, it starts like... Mm-hmm. Instead of just a an insta-dust, it starts from the impact point mm-hmm. and works its way out like a shatter point. Yeah. And they did really good with that. They had the scene... Uh, very end of the movie, again, if you haven't seen Blade 2 by now, shame <laughs> on you, uh, where <clears throat> his love interest in the movie uh, decides that she wants to die instead of turn into the monster vampire. Mm-hmm. So they have a real touching moment where they go out on the helipad and the sun, the sun comes up and she kind of dusts right there. But there's a moment where he touches her face and whatever he touches, like, flakes off as ash into the sky. <laughs> And so it's just like her cheek is burning from the sun rising up. That's nice. And that was really, you know, it's just little, little aesthetics like that. that yeah. Really, really, really make a scene and make a movie. And that was, 
that was just a point that really stuck out in my mind. <clears throat> I remember having to sneak in to see that movie because my mom was like, no, that's too violent. <laughs> that's too violent. Don't go see that. <laughs> it's rated R. <laughs> you can't do that back when... I mean, hell, I don't even think... The rating system is so crazy now, like so much more strict than it was back in the day. Things that were PG would never fucking be PG now. When? 80s, 90s, early There 90s. was no PG-13 in the 80s, that's why. Jaws is PG, Indiana Jones is PG. Uh, in no, Temple of Doom is PG-13. Temple of Doom is PG-13 because that is the movie that created PG-13. Well, there you go, folks. <laughs> but the face-melting scene in, uh, in, in, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, perfectly fine. <laughs> Parental guidance. Ripping somebody's heart out, though. One step too far. Must be Do 13. you think that because that was such a graphic scene, they had to show that in the trailer? Or do you think that would be spoiling the payoff? I don't know. And because Steven Spielberg... Bleh, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Borg. <laughs> no, no, we need more whimsy in this. See, my parents divorced when I was 12, so I, I'm always attached to, you know, being 12. <laughs> Going back to your, um, your uh, Mario Brothers movie thing. Yeah. Uh, another one that I feel is like that, that's kind of low budget, that rides on two-thirds development thing is the Cloverfield movies. I feel like we kind of got blindsided by this film, found footage movie that came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a cool concept because it was right in the vein of the Blair Witch Project. And they were everybody was trying to make their mark with that found footage. To me, it always made me dizzy. I couldn't really watch yeah. most of it. I did make it through Cloverfield. I was able to watch it. <clears throat> well, that was a bit of a higher budget uh, affair than Blair Witch. Yeah, and it was it wasn't so much shaky cam as it was a guy holding a camera, mm -hmm. filming you while you're talking. Yeah. So I'm just watching you through a camera lens, yeah. basically. Uh, and, you know, the little monster payoff at the end was kind of cool. And they did the the classic, like, Toho show you the back of the monster, but you never actually see the monster mm -hmm. until the very end. Um, and then out of nowhere, we get a 10 Cloverfield Lane starring John Goodman, 2015. 2015. So I think we got a, what, 10-year difference? Maybe? Five years? I don't know. Uh, I want to say that... Uh, that Cloverfield came out when I was in high school. No, Cloverfield would have came out after, like 2007 or 2008. Like it would have been in that time period, I want to say, because we were, we were all staying at fucking Tin Falcon Ridge Lane. <laughs> we were all staying in fucking uh, Lakeside View. Uh, we were all. <laughs> I remember watching Cloverfield. Now I did watch Cloverfield on DVD, but. That was a point when fucking DVDs were hitting, like... Months um, after. Yeah, so quick <clears throat> afterwards. I wonder if it's because everything is becoming digital now that it takes so long to hit the shelves. 
but even the digital media takes quite a while to hit my voodoo yeah. categories to buy and stuff like that. I wonder why it's getting pushed back. And it's not all of them. It's like the ones that do really, really, really well. The in ones theaters. that they want you to go see in theaters. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but they don't stay in theaters that long. So then you have this gigantic limbo of we're not in theaters, but you have to wait three more months to buy it. I don't know. They, I think they hold it all for any kind of holiday or something that's coming up. Yeah. yeah. That would get you to be like, hey, let's go buy this. Let me go do that. Yeah. Probably. I mean, it's... I don't know. I, 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 while doing these past couple of episodes and thinking about all this, like I really miss, and this is going to make me sound like an old person to any kids out there. I miss Blockbuster and old internet. <laughs> like miss I, dial up? not dial up, but before before algorithms were feeding us what they what they thought we wanted to see. Um, when we used to have to be like, huh, I kind of heard this thing about this movie. I need to find out what that movie is. Go find it. And then you have to go somewhere, pick up the physical copy of it, and put it in your DVD player. Um, and it's not about, it's not really about the analog of it, you know, having to pick it up intangibly, whatever. It's about the things that come with that DVD. It's about your director commentary it's about your uh extras it's about the things that you don't get anymore with digital media and it's about having to find it without being told you'll like it because either everybody else likes it it's trending now on netflix or you show interest in marvel movies so you'll like this right right i will say that um i i pay for a lot of uh, streaming services, Netflix, mm-hmm. Hulu, Amazon. Yeah. Um, and even though it's frustrating because we live in a world now where we want everything now and we can just about have everything now media-wise, mm-hmm. uh, they add commercials, like sponsored commercials. Or sometimes uh, Xfinity will actually make you watch the commercials that air on TV. So, for someone who does sometimes binge and streams a bunch of episodes, Mm -hmm. it's nice to make your mind disconnect for a minute. It kind of gives you that reset, so you're not zombieing out in the chair. Oh, yeah. no. uh, Do you you know what I'm talking about? I prefer watching, uh, like, stuff on Hulu, uh, even with advertisements. Uh, to uh, as opposed to Netflix because of the adver- the advertisements allow me to back up and be like oh shit we've it been like sitting here for how many episodes okay I need to go do something uh, whereas Netflix first of all just keeps fucking going but also Netflix fucking ruins sitcoms and I can't stand it uh, first they cut out the intro which the intro to a sitcom is part of a sitcom. It's like it's the it's the table setting for what's about to happen. Um, uh, so with that, sometimes they'll also cut out your your cold open. Like if they're cutting out the uh, intro, sometimes yeah, they'll yeah, cut out yeah, your yeah. cold open, which is just that. Did you run into that problem with Seinfeld? Did you miss his opening comedy bit? No, Seinfeld is on Hulu, and Hulu doesn't do that. Hulu has the commercials, which this is the other thing with Netflix. Then on your like your commercial break. Uh, uh, stingers like the ones that lead you into commercial mm-hmm. the natural you know this is a break time here's your big laugh go to commercial still incorporates that 
uh, Netflix cuts those. Netflix cuts around those. Uh, so it, it, it throws off the timing of the show. It, very minuscule. Like, if you don't pay attention to these things, you won't notice it. But it, it does throw off the timing of the show. And within a sitcom, within comedy, throwing off the comedy, uh, the, the timing, even just that little bit really messes with the structure of the show. Or as Hulu has the ads baked in already. Boy, so I, I feel like uh, they feel the exact opposite in Japan because they love to put fucking little anime like commercial breaks in the middle of their show. Uh, the bumpers. It drives me fucking nuts. Like, I'm talking at the height of the action. Right before the punch hits, you're like, this is gonna be so fucking good. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then you have to, like, the comeback, and you're like, ah, Jesus, this is bullshit. But and if the there punch was a... happens and you're like completely out of the game. <clears throat> but if there was a commercial there rather than it being like back to back bumpers, wouldn't it work a little bit better? Or no, because nobody wants to. You get give me the fucking punch or take the commercial break before the fight starts. Don't fucking commercial break in the middle of the goddamn fight. What's wrong with you? And then when you produce said DVDs slash Blu-ray slash 4K Ultra K, whatever the hell the new one is. I haven't bought any of those yet, so I'm not sure. Uh, you still leave in the goddamn bumpers. Take that shit out, even in marathon mode, where there is no intro, there is no exit. You get it one time in the beginning of the fucking thing, and then it runs for like eight hours of the goddamn disc. Do you know what's in every fucking episode? And then you get it in a slightly different tone, all fucking over. So if I have ten episodes, I have to listen to that fucking thing twenty goddamn times. Twenty times. Funimation. Anybody listening? Amniplex. God, what's the other one? Shonen Jump. Please, for the love of fucking God, if you release a goddamn DVD... Blu-ray, 4K Ultra DVD, take out the bumpers, give me an option. If people are like, you know what really makes the anime episode? <laughs> Those bumpers. I just love it. It just, it really separates everything and makes it fucking wonderful. I don't enjoy that. Give me that option slightly to the right of the intro menu and just take it out. No more. No more bumpers. Right over. Thank you. Thank you, Pierre. <laughs> There are at least 50 people out there who know exactly <laughs> how you feel. Pierre Bernard's recliner of rage. I'm going to break.
much to say about it. Best guilty pleasure movie, Southland Tales. With uh, Stifler and The Rock and Justin Timberlake's. It's by the director Doesn't of... Doesn't that also have Sarah Michelle Gellar in it? Yes. Isn't that the one where she's the porn star? Yes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yes. It's a terrible movie. It's so bad. Do that, is she actually just, just, just call her Snow Bunny? <laughs> It's an awful, awful, it's by the director of Donnie Darko, and it's, but man, do I just like staring at it, because it's, the decisions made, and there's this, there's a two minute break in which Justin Timberlake sings the killers to the camera. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. <laughs> I feel like I have to watch this movie. It's a weird movie. Uh, best overrated. It's going to be contentious. Two, Reservoir Dogs and The Matrix. Not saying they're bad. In fact, I like both movies. I like Reservoir Dogs more. Uh, I wouldn't say, in my opinion, I don't think Reservoir Dogs is overrated. No? I think it is a very good, and for your first time through, awesome twist on a gangster movie. Yeah, no. Like, uh, really, really, really cool. You're like, oh shit. And then, it, it you know, it all fucking goes down. It all goes down, yeah. Um, Matrix... I would say now that I've seen it, 500,000 million <laughs> times, it could fall into the overrated, or if not overrated, I wouldn't say overrated, played out maybe. Um, but, I mean, for its time, the first fucking Matrix was incredible. Mm-hmm. 1999, that's all anybody was talking about. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, when I say overrated, I don't mean that they're bad, and I don't mean that people, like, I guess, lump too much praise on them, per se, uh, because both movies are worthy of every praise that they get. Uh, I think that it's more about, uh, the way that people consume the content at a certain point. Um, overrated in the sense that, uh, people, uh, made Quentin Tarantino movies, and, like, the way that Quentin Tarantino makes movies, they're identity same with my matrix like for a little while liking the matrix and being really into the matrix was just like central to people uh certain types of people and, and that happens with a lot of movies fight club uh where people like take the philosophy to a extreme extreme yeah. uh and they don't eat the subtext or it it goes the other way and they get labeled as something and they don't like that label and so they try so hard on the next sequel or sequels mm. to change that view and alter what everybody's first conception of the movie was. Yeah. So, you know, everybody wanted to place strong Christian religious overtones on The Matrix, which it does have. There's no fucking denying that it has that. The fucking ship is called the Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it's got scripture and Bible stuff written oh, yeah. all through it, but they uh, the Wachowski brothers did not want it to be labeled as soaked in religious subtext. Yeah. And I feel like that drove them to move in a different direction for two and three. And then also, 
I'm not one of those crazy purists to say like you could never make Peter Parker black or you couldn't make Superman Asian or anything like that, but I was upset when they tried to recast the Oracle because I think that had a big, huge impact on what the story was going to be because hmm. you had to explain. Now you have to do a whole fucking sub-explanation of why you are a whole new actress because the original actress from the first two died. Yeah. So they should have just they should have just killed her. Yeah. She should have died for helping the humans. Her program should have been erased. End of story. Hmm. Um, they could have... And, you know, then they could have... Maybe the... It could have been something like the gift of the Oracle, or the eyes of the Oracle could have been the gift that Neo received to infect Smith. Hmm. You know, she didn't have to be absorbed by Smith. And I don't know how long it's been since you've actually. It's been seen a while them. since I saw the sequels. Uh, so, in the third one, uh, is it the third one? Maybe it's at the end of the second one. I do know that th- that that both of them the are very much written in the way that you're saying, and not even just about the Christian allegories, but just like the second and third movies are trying to uh, subvert the text of the first one they're trying they, they are trying to say no you've got it all wrong right like and we they intentionally it was intentionally given to you all wrong uh and whether or not they <clears throat> the wachowskis uh made true on that promise with the second two is up to watching uh, a lot of people don't like the second two like i said i'm not a huge fan of the first i understand why people love it um but I, I think I, your whole thing about like trying to take the Christian allegory out of it with the second two is kind of not funny. But uh, I think that, that that as a reaction is because it's supposed to be, to them, a trans story. It's the story of coming out as, a, as transgender, mm-hmm. uh, which is even more obvious once they make their transitions, the both of them, in, in the uh, coming years after this had come out. Did they both transition? Uh, yes, they both transition now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so they so, are officially the Wachowski sisters. I I think they go by siblings now, or just the Wachowskis. But yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. Interesting. And, and yeah, I like knew the one. that reading one. of it is a very not only important reading, but a reading that I never thought about until I started to think about it in that way, where the the Matrix is about transitioning. You're coming into a world where these kind of weird androgynous. Uh, anti-authoritarians, people Rule of color, uh, <laughs> Trinity, who's like weirdly androgynous but beautiful. You have a non-sexed name. You are the one. It's very, very, very like steeped in that kind of subtext. And it's funny the type of people who did attach to it are the, uh, or people who don't see that 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 text. Well, because that text was not there. Until well, I, I, many, 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 many years later. I don't think that the text wasn't there. I just think that we weren't we weren't reading it because that's all subtext. That's all in the subtext of the movie. Uh, yes, I agree with you. But in, uh, it was a sub-subtext. Because there was no talk of questioning a transition. In the first Matrix movie. Well, his transition is from the normal world into no, 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 no. the no, Matrix. I'm talking about, I don't remember if it was Larry or the other one, but there was no talk of that 
person transitioning from a man to a woman at all. Like, there was no, oh, Larry Wachowski is <clears throat> thinking about becoming a woman, or, oh, there, I mean, it, it did happen several years later. Well, that's that's meta, that's, that's outside a of new the... Subtext. But that that's outside of the the text of the movie. But within the text of the of the film, it's it's like I said, it's the subtext. We but how didn't... would you come to those conclusions without somebody pointing the way? I'm not trans, so I don't know. Like I, we don't read that into it because we are cishet men. I guess my, men. Ar- my argument um, is: Did anybody have that argument? Yes, uh, back wh- in 1999. Yeah, back in like the 99s, 2000s, the early internet. Like you can see trans people. Like that's where I'm getting to. It's like we don't see it. We because we're cishet men. Like we don't, right. we don't have that lens to be able to view it. Uh, whereas trans people at that time were like, no, this is a trans story. Like, I, I see myself in Neo. I see myself in this position. I understand what this is about. And it, But it's wrapped in all of this cool, high-tech, fucking badass action movie stuff, yeah. which sold it to mainstream America and guys like me and you. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, and it's, like I said, it's a great movie. Uh, I understand why people love it, but I never got into it the way that other people do. So to me, it is kind of an overrated movie. See, if I'm going to... And hell, people might slaughter me for this. Ooh. But Godfather. Yeah. Godfather's overrated. Blade Runner. I, you know, I, I've only seen Godfather once and I was really young, so I'd have to watch it again upon adult. But I remember it being long and boring and it did not... was not my favorite. Godfather 2 was amazing. Yeah. It was totally different. They changed the pace. Um... Blade Runner. I have watched that movie probably all the way through twice. I have <laughs> attempted to watch that movie probably a hundred times. I have probably seen the movie in segmented parts 20 times. <laughs> I hate that I fucking hate that. And have you have you watched it so much because it's hard sci-fi? So everybody's like, "You'll love yes, this. You like sci-fi." Everybody's like, "You're you've got to no. You're just missing it. You've got to watch." And so I'll go and I'll watch like a YouTube video on it, or I'll go read a bunch of shit on it, and I'm like, "Okay, so Decker's supposed to be this, and I'm supposed to look at these, and you know the reason they're the guy who's making all of the the paper mache. He's really an android. Is Decker an android?" You know, are these people, what they're doing is wrong. Is it wrong to kill them? And I'm just like, okay, let's go. I know everything where it's just, I, I know what to look for. And it's just like, yeah, all right. And, and, uh, oh, this really sucks. It's just a lot of and talking. It's not even talking. They're doing it's just, stuff. It's set in like that noir, gritty... You know, everybody talks like this. Mm-hmm. I woke up at 10.45 in the morning. <laughs> I realized my life was slowly going down the drain. <laughs> I needed a cup of coffee, but all was left is yesterday's coffee grounds. So I poured hot water in my coffee pot. I loaded it with sugar. The milk was old. It may have contained one or two lumps of cottage cheese. I drank my last <laughs> coffee and went on about my day. I had to go in the police academy. God, do I hate that place. I found myself sitting in the car for 30 minutes. You know, you're just like, oh my fucking God. 
<laughs> and then every fucking... I want to say it's like a ten and a half hour movie, but that's only because it takes me so long to watch it. But every now and then you'll get one human that you thought was a human freak the fuck out and explode or some shit. And you're like, oh, well, there you go. Gotta have intermissions. So, yeah. No, I mean, it's just a very... Slow plotting. And even the action, you're just like, wow. It's underwhelming. Underwhelming. It's I like underwhelming that. and played out and no. It's just, it's just not a good no. movie. Now the sequel. I did watch the sequel. 2049. Yeah. And I watched there was like a little like a kind of like a tie together Yeah. that they did where uh, I don't know it was like in the 2020s or something mm-hmm. and then they did the, the sequel and 2049 was good. I mean, it was paced way better. It was still had the same vibe and feel to it. They did a, re- a really good job recreating the universe. Um, they answered and confirmed some fucking questions. Mm-hmm. The, the whole plot of the movie, uh, without giving, you know, big, huge plot details and, you know, spoilers, is trying to create androids... Who can self-procreate. Hmm. And, uh, you know, apparently, we'll call it a miracle happened once, and they've never been able to duplicate it, ever. And so it's a very cool ride about uh, personal discovery, uh, kind of figuring out the driving force of why these things needed to die mm-hmm. after a certain time. Uh, you know, why they were on the run. I don't know. I just, I thought it was a much, much better movie. Hmm. And it had nothing to do with, oh, it's it's the technology. It's all caught up. Because it was, it did very, very good about recreating the feel of the 80s movie. That's cool. I mean, it's funny that you, that you, you, you like the second one, but you don't like the first one. Because I've heard people, and I heard Dan Harmon do an entire rap about how he finds Blade Runner 1 just as boring as you do, and therefore, when he watched Blade Runner 2049, it's the same movie, just as boring, you're all lying to yourselves. It was pretty funny, but, uh, eh. I haven't actually seen Blade Runner or Blade Runner 2. I didn't see Blade Runner 2 because I haven't seen Blade Runner 1, and I haven't seen Blood Runner 1 because it's one of those movies that I've been, once again, told so much that it's a movie you're supposed to see that it's like, there's no way that it's as good as you keep telling me. That's like uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. I've never seen that. I, I think I tried to watch it once, and it was like 10 minutes of silence and like a ship going across the screen, and I was like, no, not for me. Well, Don't fucking get it. Don't. Part of the thing is that because we live at the end of culture um, <laughs> and at the end of time, we have been handed all of these things through reference. Like we said on the last episode, we've never seen Citizen Kane, but we know Citizen Kane because we watch Citizen Kane through reference for our entire lives. Uh, So it's difficult to go back and watch it again because it's like, oh, I I know what this is. I've, I've seen this already. You know, I thought about that from the last episode, and I can't think of any movies offhand, but there are some where I... I feel like I had 
known the movie very, very well because mm-hmm. people have just talked about it all the time and it's a huge pop culture reference or it's, you know, it was a big movie at the time. And then I'll actually watch it and I'm like, wow, you know, either that was a, it, it lets you form your own opinion. Yeah. So you're like, wow, that was a really good movie and I missed, you know, there's lots of things that just people never told me. Of course. And, or, yeah, that's actually a fucking terrible movie. And all this time that I thought it was such a great movie and I used to talk it up like it was the best movie in the world, now you can form your own fucking opinion. Yeah. And you're like, eh. No, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go back and do it. I'm saying it's just difficult. Yeah. It's just difficult to do because it's like, okay, yeah, no, I've... <laughs> get to the point. My vast collection... Is... Animaniacs did it better. Come on. Speaks for itself. I have literally about 200 movies. And... It's hard to open up my cabinets and be like, yeah, we're going to watch this today. Mm-hmm. It's I've seen everything. I can usually, res- as soon as the movie is put in, I can usually start reciting it. Or it, it's Here's what it is. You've seen it so many times, you won't sit down and watch it. Yeah. You are up doing other things. It becomes your background noise. Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself, oh, that was a cool scene. And so you watch it for 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, fuck, for a couple years, I got into this mode where i would start movies at my favorite parts i wouldn't even like i wouldn't even watch the movie i'm just like i want to watch this movie for this scene only i would watch the 20 minutes and then i'd take it out and fucking put something else in i was just like i've seen everything so many times i didn't have any cable i had no streaming service i had no internet i was in an apartment with me and my first cat lex Still hanging on. He's a good homie, but he's got a little friend now, Harley. But yeah, no. So it was just me. This is when me and fucking Pocket would stay up till, I don't know, 7 in the morning. <laughs> go get Dunkin' Donuts and coffee and sit on my balcony when it was like 18 degrees. <laughs> and smoke terrible weed. I was fucking, and this is on my list because of this. I was watching Hot Fuzz last night and there's there's the, that scene where fucking Nick Frost and Simon Pegg go back to Nick Frost's house and he's like and he's like which one do you want to watch? Point Break or Bad Boys 2? He's like, "Well, I mean, which one do you prefer to watch?" He's like, "Well, first, we're going to watch both of them in one night." All right, hey. And they just do and it's just oh, it's, it's a really good scene. I love Hot Fuzz, one of my favorite comedies. It's definitely on my list. For just best comedy. Uh, it fires on every fucking point. Every time I watch it, I laugh more than the last time I watched it because I pick up on jokes that they're... Edgar Wright does that thing where he foreshadows everything, mm-hmm. uh, like he did in Shaun of the Dead, but it's all with jokes in uh, in Hot Fuzz. So you hear them say things in the beginning of the movie that come back later as jokes mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Um and it's just so fucking well done. One of the best goddamn comedies I've ever seen. See, and I remember that not being my favorite. Yeah? So I would, I need to go back and rewatch that one. Shaun of the Dead is still my, one of my favorite Edgar Wright movies. Shaun, Shaun of the Dead is a great <sighs> fucking movie. And I, I can't say that because I haven't watched the new one. Baby Driver. Oh, that's Edgar Wright too? Yep. Oh, okay. No, no, I was talking about the the Fuzz trilogy or whatever. Oh, the Cornetto one? Uh, At World's End. I haven't seen that one either. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that one yet. I don't know anything about that. The only other one I saw with them together was Paul? And that's not Edgar Wright. I don't think that was... I don't think Edgar Wright did that. I think that was either a Judd Apatow or an Adam McKay movie. Funny. Uh, 
It was funny. It was yeah. actually really yeah. funny. Paul was actually pretty that. good. Uh, I think was Seth Rogen was the alien. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure it was a Judd Apatow movie. That's why. Yeah. Uh, I I, li- I really like Judd Apatow too. Um, I was fucking. I watched I Love You Man last night, uh, with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel and oh, yeah, no, Rashida that's Jones. It's a gr- that's a fucking yeah. funny movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it. it that's it, where he's trying to find like a guy friend, right? Yeah, he doesn't have any guy yeah, friends, yeah. so he's trying to find his best man, and it's uh, it fits into. There's this one point in the early knots or the late knots, like 2008 to 2010, where these types of movies were just coming out, where they're basically romantic comedies, beat for beat, but it's about two dude friends. Yeah, romance. Romance comedies. I love that fucking style. That it was, was just. Uh, I mean. Kind of... In a very chauvinistic way, I feel like that was Wedding Crashers. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Wedding Crashers precursor to that type of movie. Uh, wow, <laughs> that was a great movie. Wow. Uh, and then I think uh, I think both of those, as well as Clerks Two, is in my running for best comedy. Just. I, 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 I talk up Clerks a lot on this podcast. I've only seen Clerks 2 once. But I think Clerks 2 is a better comedy than Clerks, and it's a really well done. I laugh every time. You can play a clip from it, and I'm in already. There's well, a, one of my favorite scenes is the, the porch monkey scene. The one we're not supposed to say? Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. I'm bringing it back. Damn it, Dante. <laughs> I mean, that scene is great because Wanda Sykes and fucking DC Curry are there to get, <laughs> give the best real Baby, baby, we don't throw away food. <laughs> you can't taste racism. <laughs> and there's a lot of self-indulgence in that movie, like his fucking Blues Brothers scene, where he does, uh, he, he, they, they, he does a dance scene to uh, ABC by the, the Jackson 5. Like a full-on dance scene, just self-indulgent as shit. Uh, the donkey show scene, bit self-indulgent and unnecessary. Yeah, like the sexy stuff. Yeah, but all the rest of it, it's it's the most heart-filled comedy that Kevin Smith made, um, and I love the shit out of it for that uh, because Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith should have been doing what Judd Apatow did during the two thousand eight. Uh, that's what Judd Apatow was basically making grown-up fucking Kevin Smith movies. What do you think was the movie that? Would you say Kevin Smith's spirit as a filmmaker has been crushed enough to the point where he does no longer want to make mainstream movies and he's only wanting to make his, uh, what is it, Zombievers or the Mr. Tusk and, and those kind of movies? Or do you think he's made it so far now that he can just make whatever the fuck he wants and it doesn't matter? I think that... Or a little um, bit of both. I think that. Uh, da, 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 give me a second. I got to cut that. I think YouTube and the internet kind of killed what Kevin Smith could have done, and Kevin Smith's insistence that he needed to grow up killed what Kevin Smith could have done. Didn't um, I just fucking see him wearing his hawker, hockey jersey with a blazer over it? Uh, he, he did not. Well, uh, um, look at uh, 2003, Jersey Girl. Uh, ben Affleck, he makes a movie with Ben Affleck and a young girl. Tanked. About, tanks. 
It's about, you know, fatherhood. It's a PG-13 movie. There's no Jay and Bob. There's none of those things that, you know, Kevin Smith made his name on. Didn't he do a legitimate, really good movie, though? Uh, like... so, so Jersey Girl, he's trying... That's him gr- try, trying to grow up, right? right? That, that's what that was. Clerks 2 is him saying, maybe I don't need to grow up. Maybe my may, maybe where I'm comfortable, maybe I can rule this world where I am, where, where I make these movies about two people... And it's a really heartfelt comedy about just people coming together and growing up together. Um, Did they add the element if she was either pregnant or she had the abortion or something? Yeah, yeah. So there was, you know, there was more substance than Clerks One. Yes, yes. It's it's more grown up. It's a better movie. Uh, The the comedy hits much. It's much punchier of a script. Um, But what kills that for him? Other than, you know, Judd Apatow comes in and starts doing it in a different way, but quote-unquote better, is the internet. Like, the internet just crushed his fucking spirit because they wouldn't let up on the guy. And he ends up trying to make Red State, which I've never seen, which is apparently a horror movie and a legitimately good horror movie from everything I've ever heard. Um, and so yeah. It was legitimately made? Yeah. It's called Red State? Red State. And it's kind of about the Westboro Baptist Church, in a way. (laughs) Lovely. And it it comes down to, uh, so so now he's just making what he wants to make, which I think fucking power to him. If you've got the ability to go out and say, I want to make a B-Hammer horror film about Justin Long getting turned into a walrus, and I don't care if you like it or not. Yes, he's a podcaster. Yes, he's a rich podcaster. This is fiction. Don't you understand? What was the other one? Brought Nazis? Uh, that was Yoga Hosers, Yoga which I also Hosers. haven't seen. I think I tried to watch it. I think I watched about half of it. Every time I come across it on Netflix, I'm like, eh. Not today. I'm not sure if I'm in the mood for this. Now, Pocket and I did go see Tusk together. We had to do that. Yeah. So... Maybe one day we'll add that to our movie lists of things we need to see, and Yoga Hosers would be something we get to experience <laughs> together. And I heard there's a third one coming down the line, but I don't know what it is. Moose Jaws. Uh, it's a. He knows what it it's is. It's a remake of Jaws, but what, with, with a, a moose. moose. <laughs> I'm into it. I mean, like, yeah, if you are able to at that point, fuck it. Is do the it. Is moose going to get a fin? No. No, the moose is going to have fucked up antlers. Because if a moose gets castrated, um, its antlers start to, like, twist and grow inwards. Is this a real thing? Yes. Who the fuck castrated a moose <laughs> to figure this out? Hey, you want to see something cool? Canadians. Oh. Mostly Canadians. Oh my Canadians. god, there's so much blood. Yeah, 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 just watch the horns. Check it out. <laughs> I mean, does it happen in, like, ten minutes? It's like... Best underrated movie burn after reading? Um, hmm. I I did love that movie. I like like burn after reading more than I like Big Lebowski. And I love, love Big Lebowski. You think that was underrated? What? Burn after? People don't seem... No, the Big Lebowski is like the Coen Brothers movie for that era. I think that burn after reading kind of it, it does what big lebowski does it's the same like themes it's the same idea of like nothing matters like this is this story goes nowhere literally goes nowhere but it puts the period on it of like no literally 
this story goes no so nothing we've learned nothing we've learned nothing sir you know, okay. I, a lot of people said that they didn't like it, mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed uh, Pain and Gain with the rock and Mark Yeah, Robert. no, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I mean, for like a... It just hit on a lot of right beats for me. No, I... I it That's one of those movies that uh, is... I begrudgingly like uh, because there's so much weird about it. There's <laughs> so much glorification of those fucking freaks. And I don't think Michael Bay's doing that on purpose. I think that's just how Michael Bay films shit. Um, but Mark Wahlberg is fucking scary in that movie. And The Rock is so clueless. Yeah. Like, he's, like, such a... You've never seen a better person more coked out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only way I can fucking describe that. Yeah, no. Anthony Mackie's great in it too. Yeah, uh, the Falcon. It's it's a weird movie. It's got a good sense of humor. I mean, it's a bad sense of humor, but it's a good. It's a sense very. It's, it's a dark comedy. It's a yeah. It's it's, it's a dark comedy, and it's got a fucking mean sense of humor, but <laughs> it's good. Oh man, they beat the shit out of poor Tony Shalhoub. Oh god, poor Monk. I did. <laughs> did you ever watch that show? Were you ever a Monk fan? I no. I never did get into No, it. I never watched Monk. I, I think it was his just quirk. At the time it came out, mm-hmm. I didn't find that funny. And I, I, I could go back and rewatch it, and it could be hilarious. It might be. Speaking of sitcoms, your favorite sitcom's dad died. Yeah, I know. John Mahoney. Yeah. Did they ever do any kind of Seinfeld reunion? Seinfeld reunion? Not Seinfeld, um, sorry. Frasier. No, I don't think they did. Never? No. Or a Cheers reunion? I guess they probably did a Cheers reunion on Frasier. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the way that they did the Cheers thing on Frasier, for the most part, from what I've been seeing in my rewatching of it, is it'll just be the one where Diane comes back, and it's right, just right. an episode where Diane's there, and they don't... They mention it, but it's... Like, Alex is immediately like, is that a person from Cheers? And I'm like, yes, that's a person from Cheers. <laughs> Who's that? That's Norm. Yeah. That's, that's two yeah. people from Cheers. <laughs> yeah. Who's that weird guy? That's Ted Danson. He's Ted Danson. God. Every time he came back in Frasier, did he always have the brown hair? Oh, yeah. Did he that ever was come still. Back with white hair? That was, no, that was still brown hair. That was still brown hair? Uh, that was still brown hair, Ted Danson. Yeah. I wonder how long he dyed it. Because you don't just. He never had a gray period. <laughs> You don't just become white. Well, didn't, it's didn't, not like you get out of bed and you're like, well, fuck it. This is what I'm doing today. Like the Santa Claus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, Ted Dan- didn't Ted Danson disappear for a few years? Like, he was on Becker. I remember Becker. You remember? But I thought Becker was white-haired Danson. Nope. Nope. Danson came back and did something and had white hair before CSI. Uh, Before he took over Grisham's job, he Becker, he was still, job. but he was old. Like Becker was the old, like wasn't he like an old, like, and I may be way off, but like a cowboy, like an old. No, no, Becker was a uh, like uh, he was a physician. I want to say. Becker. <laughs> Man, I'm way off. Like an old cowboy. No, he was a physician. Uh, he was like a mean physician or something like that. Um, the girl from. Saw, the heroin addict from Saw. Uh, Saw 2. Oh, she's uh, in 
was in it. She was his she was his dumb receptionist. There was the blind guy. Oh yeah, no, no, he's definitely still has brown hair there. And he's definitely, definitely a doctor. And... He looks like a dick. So, I mean, right on all points so far. And he's not... He wasn't super old in that one. He came... The first time I remember seeing white-haired Ted Danson was in um, Burn After... No, not Burn After Eating. It was... Uh, fuck. No, shit. It was uh, Bored to Death, uh, an HBO show. One of my favorite HBO comedies that got cut off way too fucking soon. That's the first time I remember seeing white-haired Ted Danson. Bored to Death is a comedy about a Jason Schwartzman who is a writer who cannot write his second novel. His girlfriend breaks up with him, so he decides that he's going to begin moonlighting as an unlicensed private detective. Uh, also starring Ted Danson and Zach Galifianakis. Uh, great comedy, funny comedy. Danson I love and it. Zach Galifianakis? That's yeah. an interesting... Yeah, Schwartzman, Galifianakis, and fucking Danson, and it's great. Danson plays this... He's the editor-in-chief of a magazine, and he's just lecherous, loopy, and always looking for weed. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Bored to death. HBO. You should watch it. Uh, and so, since we're talking about... Yeah. Some nostalgia and some movies that really hit home, some favorite categories... Uh, it's a little bit goofy, and it did go through some mainstream criticism because nobody thought Michael Keaton could do a good Batman. Because all they remember him from is, you know, Mr. Mom and Multiplicity. Multiplicity's afterwards, but yeah. I loved Multiplicity. Multiplicity is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite <laughs> movies. It's got so many quotable lines. <laughs> He's fucking hilarious in that movie. And you want to talk about making the biggest comeback since I'm on a Michael Keaton trip. He was amazing in, as Vulture. Yeah. He was fucking incredible oh, as yeah. Vulture. I'm actually disappointed in myself because I don't own that movie in one form or the other. Yeah, I'm uh, disappointed that I haven't seen it again. I, like, I don't think I've seen it since the theaters. It yeah. was a really, really good... Oh, yeah. So uh, I think the only way that they could make it, that they could outdo his comeback as the Vulture is give me a Batman Beyond movie with him as old Bruce. I would be okay with that because he was never a very big, imposing figure. Mm -hmm. So giving me an older Bruce Wayne who doesn't have the musculature anymore, I'm totally cool with that. Oh, yeah. But all of the skills? Yeah. Like, I would still love to see him, like, beat the shit out of whoever they cast as Terry with his cane. And I want to see some cool, like, one of the coolest standout moments. I don't remember if it was from the Return of the Joker movie or the last season, which they came out with three seasons of Batman Beyond. But there's one point where he's standing at the edge of his bat cave mm -hmm. with his dog Ace. And he takes out one of Terry's batarangs and he just tosses it. And he cuts off like three or four stalactites, and then he comes. It comes back to him, and he catches it, and he's like, "Still got it." And I, you know, just little things like that are always cool to me. It would be cool to see him, them incorporate something like that. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, upon rewatches many times, because I I very much did break my very first VHS copy of the 1989 Batman. Yeah. Starring Michael Keaton, and uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Uh, the gadgets in that film 
were amazing. I mean, they pulled and made them right out of the comics. They did molds of everything. It wasn't like, oh, okay, how are we going to make a grappling gun, Mm -hmm. like, really be a grappling gun? How can we Batman actually? No, we're going to say Batman has this crazy, ornate grappling gun that fits in his hand but looks like it's got high-powered wheels and stuff in it, and that's what we're going to use. They did a good job blending the comics and taking out all of the goofiness of the 60s Adam West show. They made it dark. They made it gritty. They gave him all the tools he needed. I don't know what the budget was on that. That would be a good one to look up. But later on, I specifically remember seeing uh, whenever Michael Keaton comes down for one of the first times in the Mm -hmm. bat scene, he's wearing black Reeboks. He has Reeboks on. And uh, so, you know, they, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing in making a bat costume. But it turned out really well, and things that they couldn't afford to spend the money on or didn't know how to create, or were like, well, that all looks ridiculous. You can't have a man running around in a fucking rubber suit. Because then he's like, eh, 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 eh. so you got to be able to make a mobile and make it in pieces. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's my favorite bat suit aesthetically. I don't like that it's rubber. You know, it does look bad on, on high-definition televisions uh, without scan lines on VHS. But tracking aesthetically like just the the yellow symbol the big bat in the center it's still the bat symbol that i remember like out of all of the iterations even including tas uh the animated series it that is the bat symbol i think of i think that's still the one printed on everything is the one from 89 batman yeah i mean it's so iconic with the yellow and the black um and it's hard to make a sticker of just Mm-hmm. The black bat yeah uh and so yeah super iconic and i i love that movie there are for its time you can see some of the um you can see some of the problems in like the suit like you were saying yeah yeah uh and some of jack nicholson's performance as a joker who before 1989 i mean shit it was my favorite movie. I was born in 1986, so I was only three years old. Yeah. So I had no concept of who the Joker was. And upon watching that movie, here's this maniac gangster who is a little kooky and has no problem killing people in a very creative way. I mean, he was he was scary to me, especially when... My, I know the, the scene that used to freak me out the most was where he calls all the mob bosses together. Mm-hmm. And he tells them, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to divide up your properties and you're going to give me 20% of all your income and I'm the new head of, the, of all the houses. And one guy's like, well, I don't like that at all. And he you know, confronts him and he's like, you know what? You're right. How about we call a truce? Put her there. And he... That's when the first time you see him use the electronic buzzer and he like vaporizes or melts the dude right there. And then he proceeds to make jokes with the body and the corpse. Mm -hmm. He like does his tie and (laughs) So I you know, things like that were always creepy whenever he uh, whenever Vicky Vale in the museum throws the wine on his face. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I'm melting. I'm melting. <laughs> and then he opens his hands and he's got like the the foundation is all running and he's got the white face underneath and just goes, boo. 
Like, that used to freak me out as a kid. And then I always loved Jack Nicholson's line whenever Batman crashes in for the first time. Where does he get such wonderful toys? Yeah, it was a... Uh, a great movie. Uh, I remember. I remember the. It was the fucking the quill in the neck. Always scared oh, yeah. the fuck out of me as a kid. That always hit me. And I don't remember. The pen truly is mightier than the sword. I don't remember getting them confused, but I do remember trying really hard to figure out the difference between uh, what was his name? Was it Cesar Romero, uh, Batman sixty six Joker? And Jack Nicholson Joker. Because I, even to this day, really like 66 Joker. Uh, he did a good job. I, obviously, it was the 66, so he amped up the wildness. So yeah, he was zany. A bit more. But, um, yeah, no, he was good. Uh, for a long time, even after I saw Dark Knight, I couldn't figure out which Joker I liked more. And in the long run, I think Heath Ledger's Joker just wins for me because he was more of the... If I, if I was thinking as an adult, day and age, I would be more scared of Heath Ledger as oh, yeah. a Joker than I would as Jack Nicholson as yeah. a Joker. I mean, like, which I one? I feel like as long as you were, well, I don't know. He did just shoot his right-hand man. That's that. Yeah, which one do you not want to meet in a dark alley? I don't think I want to meet either one of them in a dark alley, to be quite honest. Yeah, but I mean, if I had to beat one in a dark alley, <laughs> I'd choose The Shining over... <laughs> crazy ledger at least i mean at least i might get a couple of laughs out before he murders me i don't want you know him to pop up and just find a carrot peeler in my mouth and then he asks me do you know how i got these scars <laughs> no no i have no idea i don't want to know i'm sorry for walking down your alley it was my mistake goddamn gps google i keep looking down on my phone fucking tourists i don't know uh my bad let me make a right turn here's my wallet thank you so much uh, no, 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 please put the, no, you don't need that knife either, put that back, no, no, oh, fuck. And then I die. I think Spider-Man 2 would be my competition to your Batman. Uh, like the Are ones that... amazing? Like, no, no, I'm talking, I'm talking Spider-Man 2, I'm talking fucking like Raimi. Spider-Man 2. Raimi Man 2. Uh, I, I think that it, that is, I think that those two, like, like as far as, like, uh, during formative years, like, the things that formed my opinion of movies and, like, what makes a movie really cool, I think that Spider-Man 2 is my bat your Batman. Like, I think that those two are the things that would match up completely, where it's like, yeah, no, this really touched me in certain ways of just, like, dude, fucking movies are cool. <laughs> Outside of Homecoming, which is a precursor to Spider-Man entering the Avengers universe, mm-hmm. a, my... Spider-Man 2 is my favorite standalone yeah. Spider-Man movie, hands down. Um, it was very well done. Uh, I They did it corresponding right along the same time as Peter Parker losing his powers in the comics. Yeah, yeah. And it was connected to...
remember where you were? Well, yeah, we were on Spider-Man 2. I mean, if I had anything. Spider-Man 2. Just in the comics about the way they had, they were depowering him, and I think it had something to do with his emotional uh, instability about wanting to protect Mary Jane and wanting to be a scientist and wanting to be Spider-Man all at the same time. He had that conflicting emotion mm-hmm. where he, it was he was he was depowering himself. Yeah, he didn't ever lose his powers. He just you know I guess didn't have a good grasp on them, and I liked that him being under stress caused his powers to falter because the whole shtick about uh, Raimi Man was the fact that his powers are organic mm-hmm. and not synthetically made. Yeah. You know, he down to his organic webbing. Yeah, it's all connected to him. Um, and fucking... That is a great movie where special effects were really starting to peak. Oh yeah. Yeah. The 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 sun, the little like mini mini sun that they made mm-hmm. and you know that Oct was trying to keep contained before everything exploded. That was really really cool. Awesome uh deleted scene, blooper, whatever you want to call it, extended scene if you ever want to go check out something cool from that movie is a selling point and I don't remember the actor's name. Who played Dr. Octopus? Molina. Alfred Molina. He, to get him signed on, they got William Defoe to come and do that scene where he's trying to contain the sun mm-hmm. and he has Doc Ock's arms on <laughs> and he's doing the entire scene and that sells him and he ends up doing the part. That's cool. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, it's cool to see. I, I like Defoe. He's a real, very, very good character actor. Uh, if if anybody, if they ever make, and I want at least 10 years before this happens, and I don't even know if he'll still be alive then, but if they ever give me a Dark Knight Returns movie, like a live action movie, mm-hmm. um, they did a great job with the animated one. But I would love to see him as my Joker. As the as old as Joker. As the old Joker. Retired Joker. Who's come out of the fucking loony bin. Yeah. Uh, I think he could do that. He's I, good. He would play the perfect, especially if they went with that smarmy, kind of David Bowie, mm-hmm. charming. Uh, you know, he's not so much. He is a maniac, but it's not always. His manic isn't always present. Yeah. Like he comes across as a. Uh, a very kind of suave charming person that you would you would easily be able to be lured into a conversation before you got stabbed in the neck yeah you know what i mean oh yeah i got you and i I think he would do a good a good job at that and at the same time i would not mind a return of batfleck for a dark knight he yeah. already does the gruff brooding no, I mean, don't want to speak i like batfleck i just think that he was not put in the right movie, and that sucks. Yeah. That, that, that just kind of sucks. That's unfortunate. Uh, little known, here's some trivia, uh, just because uh, th- this used to bother me until I figured it out. Willem Dafoe's name is actually William. So nobody's wrong when they say that. He goes by Willem because it's an inside joke of one time when it was mispronounced, so he just took it as his stage name. 
And all this time, I had no idea that he went by Willem, and I've always called him <laughs> William Defoe. Always. I just, for some reason, shorten it. Like, I don't add the E-um, like William. Yeah. I just add, I just say it short, like Willem. No, I say William. I, just, I don't know. Now I fucking, that's going to mess with me for, like, all of the rest of the day. William, Willem, Willem Defoe. Yeah, it's always Willem. It's always W-I-L-L-E-M. That's how they spell it. In the William. credits. But apparently, yeah, his name's his actually William. William. Oh, all right, and I never knew that until recently. Uh, you got anything else? Because we are, we are running on time. Running on time. You know what? Uh, we don't always bring just a two-person episode, but it was nice. It was, felt a lot more relaxed. We were yeah. kind of chill today. And uh, we have good things to look forward to in the future. This is just the testing ground. So if you like what you heard, drop us a like. Give us a comment on our website, Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and yeah, this is Chris1 or Chris2 signing out. As he said, uh, like, share, subscribe. Uh, this has been an episode of Between the Profound and the Profane, which you can always find on thebonushours.com, and you can also find on iTunes. Uh, you can help us out, give us a rate, maybe a review. Definitely a subscription. Um... Got anything last words to say? This is a Ryan Mitchell production. I'm a man. <laughs> Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Good night, everyone.
and replace every like as of Ian's with Erica Badu sneezing. That's a lot of sneezing. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> but it's like, uh, it's like a... Yeah. You have to... <laughs> wow. You have to tell the difference between his like uhs and his like a's, but because he's from the uh, the Midwest, all of his a's sound like uhs, <laughs> and all of his a's are actually a's. <laughs> are we talking like a Michigan a? Yeah, yeah, we're talking I don't know like if a... I've ever heard Ian say. They're in there. Uh, you gotta you Ian's gotta get real. It must be a subtle. It's subtle. Uh, but it, Ian Ian's Michigander comes out when he's either really drunk or just just really really relaxed and kind of kind kind of vulnerable. When Ian lets his hair down and he starts blasting off inside of uh, rocking chairs, that's about when the A's come out. <laughs> Does he hit us with the Bobby? Don't you know? 